so many thoughts running through my mind right now. Um, The first one is, I may not even need to really preach a sermon because we just learned a sermon in generosity from Lawson Patton. (coughs) It would be a shame to not acknowledge that moment, and uh, Lindsay did a good job holding out there. Um, Sometimes it's hard to give our money away, right? Even adults know that, so... It's a good reminder for all of us. Um, good morning again. I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, it's been a great day of worship already. I want to thank Mike and the worship team for leading us and Casey and leading our thoughts around the table. One thing I forgot to mention at the beginning that I want to make sure and uh, remind everybody about is that there is a, a wedding shower uh, this afternoon for Jason Calhoun and Charles D. Patterson in the parlor, and so uh, please be aware of that. It's another thing that's happening today. As I told you there's lots of stuff going on, so that's, that's a good thing. Amen. Uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be together this morning. Uh, and we are in week 9 of a 12-week sermon. Uh, this sermon series this morning, we're in week 9, and this series we're calling Becoming Church. And we're, we're calling it Becoming Church because we have been talking about, I'm trying to imagine, uh, becoming the church that God imagined for us to be. Um, and we want to we think about the best possible ways to do that. And so uh, to, to help us think about that, we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And uh, we've learned along the way that uh, this church is not perfect. They have a lot of challenges uh, and, and a lot of things that, that they're trying to learn as well as they think about how to be the people of God in their city. And, uh, and so I think it's, it's really been a powerful uh, blessing for my, or my life to study through this book and to prepare for these sermons, and I hope that's been the same for you and would encourage you because I, I try to say this every week, uh, because so much of what Paul is writing about is kind of connected to other things that he said in earlier places in the book. Uh, if you've missed an earlier sermon, I encourage you to go and find uh, our sermons online on our church website, or you can subscribe to those on podcasts and stuff like that. So uh, if you're not sure how to do that, let, let me know and, and, and we can help you get those. But uh, we want you to kind of be aware of the conversation that's been going on prior to this conversation today and this, this sermon. So I want to ask if you would just to bow with me as we, as we start and uh, just to pray for our time together in God's Word. Let's, let's do that. Father, we thank you for being our God and for loving us and giving yourself for us. And we just proclaim again that worthy is your name. You are a God that is worthy of our lives, of the breath in our lungs. We want to give all of those things back to you. And we we pray that this morning as we think about uh, offering ourselves as uh, in service to you and to your kingdom, that you'll be here with us as we gather. As we study your word together, that your spirit will work in us, uh, convicting and reminding and encouraging and prompting us in ways that we need all of those things. And we thank you, God, that you, uh, you, you are at work in our lives and you're at work in this church and you're at work in the world. And we are blessed when we get to see that and get to be a part of that. I pray this morning that you'll uh, be with us now as we study And help us, God, as we continue to try to seek your will and your face and become the church that you long and desire for us to be. We pray through the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
So again, we're going to be in chapter 12 this morning, but I want to just quickly uh, remind you that it's important, I think, to know the conversation that we're going to jump into today because it really actually started last week in chapter 11. Last week we saw that there were a number of issues within the church in Corinth that were connected specifically to their worship. Uh, They were drawing lines between men and women, rich and poor uh, in the body, so that when they gathered, uh, that they they were... kind of segmenting off the church, right? And especially, it, it, was, it was having an impact on the body, but specifically in regard to how they shared the Lord's Supper. And they were, they were dividing off and drawing lines and putting people into categories to the extent that they were completely missing the point of the Lord's Supper. And so Paul addresses that. And they were creating a divisive culture, and Paul's pleading with them for unity. And so today, the topic is is different. The topic is spiritual gifts in chapter 12 instead of prayer and the Lord's Supper in chapter 11. But Paul is still making his case for unity. And so I want to start uh, reading in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when when you were pagans, somehow or another, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So really quickly, we'll just pause here. From the beginning, like in earlier parts of the letter, once again, you you get this sense that Paul is responding to something specific that they've asked him about, a question that they've asked him. So he acknowledges uh, their pagan background, their worship of those idols, and gives them, I I really believe these first three verses in chapter 12 are kind of foundational criteria for telling the difference between the work of the Holy Spirit and that of other spirits. He, He acknowledges, first of all, Paul acknowledges, this is not even what the sermon's about, but it's important to notice, he acknowledges that there are other spirits at work in the world, uh, but he, he, he's helping them to, sell, to tell the difference and to be able to discern the difference between the work of the Holy Spirit and that of other spirits. So you know someone is filled with the Holy Spirit if they have confessed Jesus is Lord. Now, he isn't saying, I don't know how you read that, but I, 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 for a long time I read those words and I thought, well, that's kind of odd. I mean, somebody could say the words, Jesus is Lord, and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's not saying that they can't physically say them. It's, it might be possible to say the words, Jesus is Lord, and not be filled with the Holy Spirit. But in this statement, Jesus is Lord, it's, it's such a radical, life-changing statement that to sincerely make a claim like this, God must be at work in your life. Here, here's another way to say it. There is a difference between saying Jesus is Lord and confessing that Jesus is Lord, right? That confessing it means that you believe it. Confessing it means that you're ready to embody it. So this, this phrase, Jesus is Lord, in the ancient world, and we still do this, some, in kind of our own way, our version of this, when someone surrenders their life to the Lord and submits their life to Christ in baptism. But we, in, in the ancient world, there was a phrase, this phrase, Jesus is Lord, that was repeated often. Romans chapter 10 gives us one example of this where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he actually says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. These words, right, were, were an early 
Christian confession of faith. But he goes on, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. You announced to the world, is what he's saying, that you believed Jesus and you were ready to follow him, and you did that by saying out loud the words, Jesus is Lord, which in that day and age meant that you believed Caesar was not your Lord, right? Caesar would also refer to himself as Lord. So to declare that Jesus is Lord meant that he was the supreme being that reigned and ruled over your life before any other leader, political or any other type of, you know, spiritual leader in any way. Saying these words out loud does something. There's a, this is why we, we, we say this. Why we, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? And, and some of you have heard me say before, I actually think when we do a baptism that the person doing the baptism really does too much talking. In our modern time, I, really, I think we've, we've kind of reverted to, we, you know, we, we ask very little, really, of the person who's making a decision to be baptized, when really they should be able to once be able to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. It's still as radical a declaration of faith as it was in the first century. And so Paul is establishing some basic criteria about those that are filled by the Spirit. There, there's, there's more to say, though. He continues on in verse 4. He says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So I want to kind of summarize what I think he's just said there before we continue on uh, in verse 12. A few things to know about Spiritual, spiritual gifts here based on what Paul is saying in our, for us too. And the first thing is that spiritual gifts are given by God's grace. They are not deserved. They are not earned. They are unmerited grace, unmerited gifts that come from God's grace. And they're intended to be used in a Christ-like attitude, a Christ-like posture as we approach the world. And the, and the result, they are the result of God's work in a person's life. Okay, so the first thing we need to know about, about spiritual gifts is that they are given as gifts by God's grace. We didn't earn any of these things. And the second thing is, they are given to everyone. Verse 7 says, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given. So we'll talk a minute, in a minute about so the times that you may feel like, well, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. I don't know. How do I know what, you know, how do I know what that is? How do I find out? We'll talk some more about that in a minute. But Paul's pretty clear. Everybody has a spiritual, everybody that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God has a spiritual gift, may have multiple spiritual gifts. The third thing is that they are given for the common good. They are given for the blessing of the body. They are given for the blessing of other people. The purpose of the gifts that you've been given is to build up the body. 
When you see your gifting being used, it will always be used to benefit the body. It will build up the body. And this, this is one way that I think we, you know whether something is a spiritual gift or not. You, you might have hobbies or interests or talents, but they're self-serving. And they're not being used to benefit the body of Christ. Right? If you like, just like doing something, but it's like a private hobby or interest, and you, ha- you have that, it's not being used to build up the body for the common good, then it probably isn't a spiritual gift. Now, it might also be a talent or an interest or a hobby that you're just not using to build up the body also. That, that also could be the case. They are given by God's grace. Everyone gets one, maybe more than one, and they are given for the common good. And so Paul goes on to list some things in these verses. Wisdom and knowledge and faith and gifts of healing and miraculous powers and prophecy, distinguishing between the Spirit speaking in tongues, which is languages, speaking in different languages, interpreting those different tongues, right? This is, this is one of a couple of places that Paul has a list of things that he rattles off as he's writing to someone. There's another one in Ephesians, a little bit later in, in 1 Corinthians, there's some other stuff he mentions uh, and I don't think, my, my belief is that as you look at all the different places where Paul writes out different roles that people play in the church, different gifts that people have, that in none of those places he's, is he saying, because they're, they're not all the same. So that, this is one of the reasons that I draw this conclusion. I don't think he's ever saying here or in any of those places, this is a comprehensive list, right? I don't think Paul's point is to try to list off every single spiritual gift that a person could have. I think he's just making the case there are a lot of different ways that God might gift you through the Holy Spirit to bless the body of Christ. This is one of a couple of places. And so all of that really, I think, lays a foundation for what I think Paul really wants to say that he begins in verse 12. And so let's continue reading. He says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And we're going to read all through the end of this chapter, so if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you to, to grab one and look with us. Verse 13, For all, we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body every one of them, just as God wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but there is one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. There's that unity theme that he keeps hammering away at. 
but that, each, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. For if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing and helping, of guidance of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So some of the members, what's just kind of going on quickly is some of the members of this church that Paul's referring to is kind of the more respectable. There's not quotes in Greek, but it's like there's quotes and he's, he's, he's sort of kind of taking a little bit of a jab at them. You think that you're the more respectable members when in reality you're not. You're just like everybody else. And some of the members of this church that Paul's referring to as the more respectable members were suggesting that they didn't need the weaker members. And apparently, these respectable members were sort of enamored with these gifts of prophecy and speaking in tongues and thought of those as kind of, you know, the elite class of, group, uh, of gifts. And they're, they're using them to serve in self-serving, using them in self-serving ways. And so Paul is repeating the same message that he's really been talking about for the last couple of chapters, and that is this, everybody matters in the body of Christ. And he uses in this location of the letter this image of the body. You are a body. The whole is above the individual, and yet the individual is, a really, is, is, a, is as important. Individual parts are as important as any of the others in the body. Just because someone isn't an eye doesn't mean that the foot you know, that, 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 you know, the foot can speak to them in a demeaning or derogatory way. It doesn't mean that the foot can say to them that they aren't important, right? In fact, it's the opposite. Because they are a part of the body, whatever part it might be, they deserve the same treatment. Every body part is given unsurpassable worth by Christ. And they have a purpose. Every part has a purpose and has a function, and every part is needed. What Paul is saying is that in God's kingdom, things are upside down so that the poorest among us is as important in the body as the one who has the most wealth. Those that appear to have it all together and might do a really good job of presenting themselves publicly are, at, are, are, are there's, there's no, it's a level playing field in the body of Christ, right? Like, those that appear to have less honor are treated with special honor, he says. God has arranged all these parts in the way that God wanted them to be. There are no lesser members. Every part is valued. So you this morning may feel like, man, I don't feel like a, a, an honored part of the body of Christ. And here's what I want you to hear if that's your situation, is that Christ has assigned you unsurpassable worth and no one has the right or ability to take that away from you. There are no lesser members. We are a body. We are a family. So that what this looks like, Paul says, is that if one person suffers, there are people suffering alongside them. If one part is happy, then there are people who are rejoicing with them. If one part is grieving, then there are people who are walking and sitting with them in their grief, right? It's, it's much like when you hurt some part of your body, your shoulder in my case. I hurt last weekend. 
As the storms were rolling in, I tried to yank our trampoline. The lightning is striking, and I tried to yank our trampoline and did something to my shoulder that required me to go see Joe Dara later, this, earlier this last week. Right? And all week long, my, body has been, my entire body has been aware of the fact that my shoulder was hurt. Right? You, you know what this is like. The rest of your body compensates for the part that is hurting until that part gets healed. When you get the tiniest splinter in your finger, the rest of your body is aware of your pain. Right? Paul's point isn't for us to try to figure out which part we are. He's just, it's, a, it's an illustration that he's using to make us see, help us to see what exactly it looks like to be the church of God. Christ is interested in us as individuals and wants us, the body parts, to have equal concern for one another. And the purpose of these gifts is that the body of Christ be built up and that there be no division in the body. We are the body of Christ, he says, which means that if we follow Jesus, if you follow Jesus, Jesus doesn't just call you to go to church. No amens on that one. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, church, Jesus, the call on your life isn't just to go to church on Sunday. That is a message that gets communicated, right? That the most important thing is that you just go, and that's really important. But I think it's, it's equally important that we know that we are a part of something. The body of Christ, and that if you aren't engaged in the body of Christ, if you're not if you're not serving in the body of Christ, you're not using your spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, then there's a part of our body that isn't functioning like it's capable of functioning. God calls us to not just to go to church, but to be an active member of this body, to do more than just attend, to find your gift and to use it, to serve in this family, to minister to others. And remember in verse 7, he says, every person has a gift as the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is the beauty of the church. The church right, was planned by God to be led by people that have spiritual gifts of leadership, to be shepherded by people that have spiritual gifts of shepherding, to be hosted by people that have spiritual gifts of hospitality, to be taught by people who have spiritual gifts of teaching. And that's not just teaching here, that's teaching from the cradle to the grave. Everybody has a gift of teaching if you, if, you're, if, you, if you have that gift, you can use that in whatever capacity that we have opportunities to be, for it to be used. The church was arranged to be cared for by people who have gifts of mercy and compassion. And on and on and on. I'm not trying to list even here in a comprehensive list of ways that you may be gifted by God. But this is the plan. There is no plan B. God's plan for the church is that it should be organized and operated by people who have been given gifts from the Holy Spirit. And to deny this, I believe, is to defy Jesus Christ and the authority of the Scriptures. Right? Just, just imagine this and how it might play out in the first century. You're a slave who in society has no rights or opportunities at all. You don't have a role that gives you any sort of dignity or honor in society. But then you come into the church and you learn this transformational truth that changes your life forever. That you have a gift to offer and that in the body of Christ, you are as valued as someone else who in this first century context might have been an owner of a slave. 
right? Just imagine, right? You, you're, you're poor in the first century and you, you have no opportunities in your life. There's no path for success that's been laid out for you. And now you in the body of Christ have opportunities to serve and to be an active member of something. Women in the first century that had been, hadn't been given opportunities come into the church and now they're being able to use and exercise gifts. They would have been ecstatic about this. Everyone, rich and poor, slave and free, male and female, whether you've been here in Kaufman Church of Christ for 30 years or you, this is your first day, you, we all have a role to play. Everyone that follows Jesus has gifts. Now, I want you to think, as I try to illustrate this, about crayons for a moment. I don't know if you've ever gone to a restaurant, uh, <clears throat> and if you had a child with you, I mean, if you didn't have kids with you and, you and you got the coloring page, that's cool, I guess, too, but it might be a little weird. But um, you go to a restaurant, if you had kids with you, or maybe you saw some kids at another table, they had a child's menu, and Often what happens when they bring that kid's menu is they bring like two crayons, right? Have you ever seen this? It's like a red crayon and a yellow crayon. And the picture that they ask, you know, they give the kids to color, like doesn't have any red or yellow in it. If you were just coloring the picture with a variety of colors of crayons, you wouldn't pick red and yellow. And so they're, they're sort of, the, you know, it's kind of this random, this random selection of two colors, or maybe, maybe if you think about the restaurant example, set that aside for a minute. Maybe you taught a, a children's Bible class before, uh, and the kids were coloring a picture, let's just say, of Jesus. That would make sense. And uh, all, the kid, you know, all the kids are coloring, and you look over at one of the kids. I'm sure this has happened in Tim and Raleen's class before, uh, maybe even some of the younger uh, groups. You look over, and one of the kids is coloring Jesus purple. And you say, well, why are you, why are you coloring Jesus purple? And they say, because purple is my favorite color, right? right? When you go to a kid's class or you're sitting, I mean, kids can take that menu, rest, you know, restaurant menu, and they can take those two colors, and they can kind of make it happen. They can make it work. They can take purple, and they, in their imagination, can see Jesus being purple. Maybe he was. I don't, I don't think so, but maybe so. We'll go with it, right? <clears throat> when you go to a kid's class, they may color with one, picture, color, color with one crayon, and that would be okay. But what we expect is that as they get older, they understand that there is actually more beauty in a diversity of colors. I, I remember when I was a kid, I went and searched for this. I think this actual box might have been the version that they, you know, the, what the packaging looked like whenever I got the first box of crayons that I got like this. Even they had the brilliant idea to put a sharpener on the side of the box, right? How amazing is that? And I remember getting this box of crayons that had this massive amount of crayons in it. And the normal colors, right, they had all the normal colors, but then they had shades of all of the normal colors, the primary colors too. And you discovered as you, as you get a box of crayons that has a, a variety of colors in it, maybe you discovered for the first time when you first got that box of crayons that variety could be a really good thing. A box of crayons reminds us that there is great benefit to having seven different shades of brown or red or green because it allows you to do things that you would have been unable to do had you only had the basic you know, package of crayons. And I use this illustration to say, I think we understand it when we think about something like that, but sometimes when it comes to gifts, you know, we think, well, somebody else already does that. They don't need my help. Right? Which is like saying, but I don't need all those shades of green. 
What are we missing out on because we decided that even though we had all these crayons, we're only going to use this limited number of colors. When God has said, I want you to use all of them, every part, God says, has a purpose and a role and a function. Every person has received a manifestation of the Holy Spirit to be used for the common good. If we're going to use all of them, though, we might have to invite more people to color. And when there are that many colors being used, what will happen is that we'll share the load. And there might even have to be a bigger picture, right? And I don't know what your gift is, but I know this, that a church that had a room full of gifts but didn't use them would be like owning a box of crayons but only choosing to use red and yellow to color everything. What a shame that would be. Somewhere along the way, I think the church somehow decided that it became another thing to consume. Right? We just come and consume whatever's being offered instead of something that we're a part of. And Paul's language couldn't be clearer, honestly. We are a body, and that attending is not actually all there is to do. Body parts have a function. A church is something you give yourself to, something you surrender your life to because the whole matters more than the individual, and yet the individual is really, 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 really important and valuable. So the question that often gets asked when you're discussing spiritual gift is, well, how do I know the best way to discover my spiritual gift? This is the most practical part of the sermon today, and it's really, really shockingly simple, okay? You could take a spiritual gifts inventory. I know we've offered those here, and that, those may be helpful to you, uh, but there is actually an easier way to discover your spiritual gift. You ready? Start serving. Start serving and see where God uses you. If you don't know where to start, then there are, I would love to talk to you about that. There are ministry leaders and deacons that would love to talk to you about ways to get plugged in to their ministries. We just had a ministry fair over a three-week period, and I know that there were still needs that didn't get met as we offered that ministry fair and opportunities for our body to sign up to serve in a variety of ways. Some of you may have seen those sign-up sheets and walked by them because you thought, I don't know what to do. Let's talk about that. Because it isn't enough that you, you, know, that you come, and that you're not in, but you're not engaged. There, there's a role that you play, and we are not functioning as, we, as God imagines for us to function if everybody is, body part isn't doing their part. And there might be, as you start serving, some trial and error. Right? You, might, you might volunteer. You might think, man, maybe, maybe volunteering in children's worship, maybe working with kids, that would be a spiritual gift that I have. And you do that one week, you're like, nope. That ain't my spiritual gift. Right? I mean, that's okay. Start somewhere. That is not my spiritual gift. You might not think this is my spiritual gift, but... But I'm going to keep trying it anyway. I'm going to keep practicing every week in front of you. Right? The point is that there might be some trial and error, and it might take some time to figure it out. There's also another point that I want to make in this, in the, about this, and that is that we don't get to retire from kingdom work. 
In our modern world, we, you know, we work hard and hopefully you get to retire at the end of your life and sometimes that can translate to, you know, oh, I've, I've done that already. It's now time for somebody else to do that. I don't read anywhere in the Bible that you get to, we get to retire from kingdom work. We go until our heart stops beating and there's no more breath in our lungs, giving it everything we have for the kingdom of God until we die. This is what we said we would do when we claimed that we believe Jesus is Lord. And what will happen is, so if you're 9 or you're 99, there is still work to be done. And all of us have gifts to offer. And what will happen is, is that God will change you when you serve. God will change you. Over time, God uses service to change us. This is why I believe it was so important that, that Jesus' disciples understood this. He wanted to make sure that his disciples understood this. The, the greatest among you has to be your servant. The first will be last and the last will be first. He, he's, he's inviting them into a life that they had not ever seen d- displayed and portrayed in society before. He's washing feet and now he's saying, whatever I've done to you, now you go and do. He, well, he might have been saying you should literally wash people's feet, but what he was really saying was take a posture of humility that leads you into a life of service. And what what will happen as that plays out in our lives is that God will transform us through the Holy Spirit that's at work in our lives. This is why, it's the way that we will be strengthened, right? The way that your, your service muscles get strengthened, I think, for service in the world is by practicing them in the body of Christ. God will change you over time as you surrender to serving and, and, and using your spiritual gift in some way. And there are gifts that so many of you have that I do not have and don't want to have, right? There are things that, that, you, that you do with work, organizationally, with numbers. There are, there are talents that you, that you have that you exercise every single day that have the ability to be transferred over and be used in the body of Christ. And my hope for you today, for us today, is to think about, to pray about, to be attentive to God and to discern the way that He has gifted us so that the part of the body that you are and that I am can be used to build each other up for the common good. This morning, I want you to hear and know that you are a valued member of the body of Christ. You are a valued member of this particular body of Christ, this, this specific local expression of Christ's church. And I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for the ways that I see these things already happening in your lives every single day. And my hope is that that you hear today and are reminded today that you are a valued member of the body of Christ and that we are not the same without you. And that you have gifts from the Holy Spirit that have been given specifically to you And they might be a a little shade different. There may be somebody who's doing something already that's similar. And maybe through a partnership that you join in with them, something better happens because multiple people are now working on it. I don't know. But I know that your contribution is needed. And I know that you have been called to serve. And so the invitation today really is to to do that, to, to think and discern and to determine for yourself where will I, where will I, where, where's my, my part of the body going to contribute to the whole for the common good? Let's pray.
Father, we're thankful this morning uh, that you are at work among us. We're thankful for Christ, the head of the church, and the way that we long to be a community, Father, uh, is a desire that we have to honor and to glorify Christ. And we recognize this morning that Sometimes it doesn't feel like that we have gifts. We're not really sure what to do, where to serve, how to get started. Uh, I just pray that your spirit will be at work among us this morning uh, to clarify, to call us into service, into ministry, to uh, help us to gain some, some clarity about maybe what those gifts are and how we might use those, and that you'll create conversations today and in the days to come about what that might look like. And I'm also thankful, God, for the work that you are doing already through so many of the members of this body the talents the gifts that you are, that you're given that you've given them that are being expressed on a reoccurring and regular basis and for those things we praise you and we pray that those things will continue to build this body up for the common good we pray through Jesus Christ amen